College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. This is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 miles away from Madison Square Garden, New York City. And uh, what a great week we had, great weekend to you. I want to get into a few different topics, one of which is uh, Karine Jean-Pierre has no idea why we have student loan debt, who's going to pay for it, how that's going down. The FBI is coming after MAGA people like you, like me, like others, uh, the heavily redacted Mar-a-Lago affidavit was released. We talked about that on the last episode of This is America. Make sure you don't miss that. And lots of other things uh, are on hand here. Will the Republicans totally blow it with the midterms? It's theirs to lose. Will they lose it? Who knows? And this uh, student loan debt is a big thing. The affidavit's a big thing. There's a, a, a story from, let's see, it looks like Post Millennial. This is breaking news. This is uh, as of Friday. Podcast conference apologizes for triggering attendees with Daily Wire Ben Shapiro appearance. I was at this conference. I, I actually arrived at the conference the same day. It says here Ben Shapiro from the Daily Wire arrived at Podcast Movement in Dallas on Wednesday where the outlet purchased a booth. And his booth was right next to this big display that I happened to see myself on, which I thought was cool. I think I mentioned that to you last time. And I got to tell you, I was extremely well received at this event. People were like, oh, this guy does a lot of work uh, with, uh, with the conservative political stuff uh, and reaching Hispanics. Not a word. Matter of fact, I was even um, complimented by the folks at iHeartRadio who uh, have something called the My Cultura Podcast Network, where they have what they call Latinx creators. <clears throat> and uh, they were saying, you know, we just had a conversation about how to reach um, different people. And I said, well, I don't, I don't really target Hispanics. I just happen to be one. And some that are conservative like me have a, um, a there's a sense of gravitas. They're like, oh, yeah, I like this guy. I agree with what he says. But it's the same way with people of all walks of life and all different ethnicities. And it was uh, it was just an interesting conversation. They treated me super nicely. I went to the Cumulus Party, which I happen to work for. I went to the... Um, the Amazon Wondery Party, which is really cool. I went to the uh, Yay Networks, which I'm also contracted with. So I, I went to a bunch of parties, met a lot of people. I was extremely well received. I can't believe that there was actually an apology given uh, because they said they were sorry that the the person um, of Ben Shapiro <laughs> arriving at the conference triggered somebody who was... Uh, was trans or whatnot. And I'll see if I could find that for you. I'll read it to you because it's pretty funny. Uh, but basically, it was uh, reported in Bloomberg that his appearance was uh, well-received, writing that Shapiro walked around and mingled with attendees, taking photos, and generally became the most recognizable face in the place. And I got there Wednesday afternoon, so I'm guessing this happened before I arrived, uh, or maybe after, who knows. And there was an official statement put out saying that they're sorry that people were triggered by the appearance. And 
they they went on he, Shapiro, excuse me. He uh, he put something funny. Uh, he said, "Literally shaking right now. Podcast movement is threatening my right to exist. This is erasure." <laughs> which is funny. He's always clever and witty. Shapiro's podcast is uh, extremely well listened to, uh, one of the top five in the entire country. And it was after a podcast producer named Tal, who goes by they, them pronouns, was apparently at the conference and posted a photo of Shapiro at the conference near his Daily Wire booth, which is a very prominently displayed booth right when you walk in to, to the left, ironically. And it said, hey, podcast movement, WTF, what the F? And there's Shapiro shaking hands with people. People seemed to like him, and the booth was well attended. People were taking pictures. Yeah, I don't see, I don't understand. What's wrong with diversity of thought here? Anyway, Tal continues to blast podcast movement for uh, allowing Shapiro to attend, saying that as a trans person, as a queer person, as someone with a uterus, this does not make me feel welcome. This does not make me feel safe. Um, okay, listen. All I can say is uh, uh, that that's, you're not going to make everybody happy all the time, right? I mean, this is just one of those things. I, I can't uh, sit here and think of situations where you know, I, I go to New York. I was born in New York. I, I go back and forth to the city. Now, a lot of those things can make you uncomfortable, right? Being around uh, this type of criminal element, being around the, um, the, the leftward move towards socialism, all of these things are very uncomfortable, but, you know, you put up with them, you deal with them. But, you know, it's interesting when people say, well, there's not really such a push towards uh, leftism. There's really not an embrace of communism. Oh, no, there's not. There were elections. Uh, there was a primary election earlier in the week. And I found it interesting that this girl wins and she says, look, we're going to give our speeches later. But this was a huge win for socialism. Listen to this. I know we're saving the speeches for a little later, but today we really proved that socialism wins. <laughs> All right, so there you had it, right from the horse's mouth, Liter uh, figuratively, not literally, excuse me. Uh, it's candidate Gonzalez. I'm not seeing her first name here, so shame on me for not having that available. But there is a push towards the left, and it seems like the squeaky wheel always gets the grease. Uh, but I just find it interesting that, you know, when you're one of the top podcasters uh, in, in the country, that, you know, one person complaining gets, you know, an apology and everything. And I guess it makes sense. I know I've I've apologized I've I've apologized I've not I have uh, complained to airlines on different occasions and said you know X Y and Z I have a problem with this or that and you know they'll write back in the comments saying you know we're really sorry about that uh, you know so with the podcast movement folks said you know there's no way around it we agreed to sell the Daily Wire a first time booth based on the company's large presence in podcasting the weight of that decision is now painfully clear Shapiro is co-founder and a drop in however unlikely it was going to be should have been considered a possibility. So they're admitting, you know, we sold them the thing. We didn't think it was going to come. And uh, I just think that's that's really uh, interesting um, because I can tell you I was welcomed with open arms. They knew I did conservative uh, political commentary, and uh, it was it's never been an issue. And the worst thing I've ever heard in dealing with certain advertisers and whatnot is just, you know, they don't have a, uh, an appetite for conservative talk. And, and that's fine, because guess what? I don't have an appetite for them, so, so that's fine. But 
it, it seemed to be a big deal, uh, and none of this was even remotely mentioned to me. It wasn't until uh, I was back in, in uh, Jersey that somebody commented on one of my um, Instagram posts saying, oh, I hope you weren't triggered by Ben Shapiro, and I just laughed at it saying, you know, no, nothing but love for Shapiro. So uh, I just found that to be really, really interesting because, again, nobody was talking about it on the ground, and I went to several parties so anyway, I just wanted to talk about that and this push towards socialism in New York City and in the country overall. And one of those pushes comes in the way of paying off student loans, right? There's always, the, the left has always talked about they're privatizing this, they're privatizing that, as if privatization was a bad thing. In my opinion, we need to privatize just about everything because it's the governmentalization, right, or the... Uh, socialization, if you will, be making it socialist is is the problem. I don't want for things that are um, better handled in the private sector to be handled by the government. What was it that Reagan said? The scariest words in the English language, the nine scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. So clearly we don't want that. We want the, the exact opposite. So it makes nothing but sense to me that if if you are making a move towards forgiving loan debt, sounds really nice right now, but in effect, they're just the government is taking over. And under Obama, that's what they did. The government became the de facto bank, guaranteeing every student loan to the point of buying the student loans and now managing the student loans. Because prior to that happening under the Obama administration, the argument was always, well, why do we have a federal department of education? And the answer was always, well, because of this, that, and the other grants, blah, blah, blah. But they, they had no function because education was handled locally. Local districts handled their own things. But when Obama came in, it now became a clearinghouse for loans and managing loan debt. And this was always, I believe, their long-term plan, which was let us, again, the exact opposite of privatization, um, to governmentalize, that's the word I'm going to use, we're going to governmentalize student loans and we're going to take it over, we're going to become the bank, we're going to forgive it, we're eventually going to work it in so that every public institution is under our domain, under our command, so that we can do what we want. And the private ones will follow suit because we have a way of laundering money in a sense of of pass-through dollars through federal aid. So if you get student loans and you decide to go to Harvard, guess what? Those are federal dollars going to a private institution that in and of itself, is not accepting money for itself. They're accepting money on behalf of a student who's spending it there as tuition. So it's called a pass-through dollar. So it's an interesting way to to control the entire ecosystem of everything that's going on. And I learned this outside of education, and I worked in education for a number of years, but I learned it when I worked in government. And I realized that everybody was like, oh, my former colleague that used to work here just retired, just got hired by the Red Cross. So-and-so you just got hired, just got hired by the United Way, just got hired by you, – you name the big nonprofit and had a former state government person or federal government person working there. And it was interesting because that was their entire network. So now you're making these very warm contacts. You're like, yeah, I just worked with this guy for 30 years. What do we need from the state? Let me call my guy because now I'm the head of this big, big organization that purports to be – a private organization or a private charity, but in reality, it's just an extension of the government. And again, the government not being the governor or one person, but really this group of professionals, mainly social workers in the institution that I was working with, uh, where they all had a very similar view on things and they all worked together to 
achieve what they wanted to achieve. And oftentimes, you know, like the commissioner I worked for, and she was very charming, very apt, a very, very um, uh, competent person. Uh, despite any disagreements we had, she replaced a woman that was like a, a, a Kinseyan sexologist, Rosenzweig, who was the, uh, I forget her first name, but uh, Rosenzweig was her last name, and she was a sexologist, I believe. Um, the commissioner that I worked under during the Christie administration was was not radical in any ways, uh, not as radical, I should say, as, as this person. Um, but she came right out of Rutgers University, out of academia, right? So she was there in academia training the people that worked in the government, and then they brought her into the government to run the government. <laughs> uh, so, you know, obviously there was the contacts were already made in academia, and it's one big um, incestuous thing. So I think the same way they say that you can't be a congressman and become a lobbyist or be a state assembly person or a state representative and become um, a, a, um, a lobbyist, they should do the same thing with academia because, in effect, they are lobbying and they don't have the same rules and the same um, limitations placed on them. Those are my thoughts. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You know, sometimes people throw ideas at me and I don't, you know, on their face they sound good, but then it's like, huh, I don't know, maybe not so much. Right, so the other day I had a conversation with somebody about DWI and they were like, you know, it's messed up because people ultimately their lives get ruined by DWI and I'm and as you know we're having this conversation I'm thinking that is probably the the point and and the argument this person was making was but you shouldn't want to ruin a, a person's life you should want to punish them but allow them to live so they can pay their debt to society because once you take away their license their livelihood is is shot to hell they're not able to provide for themselves anymore so ultimately what do they do so the proposal that they came up with was that the person be prevented kind of getting a scarlet letter saying, you know what, this person should be kind of blackballed that when they go to buy a beer, they can't buy a beer. When they want to go to a bar, when they get carded, that some system or whatever tells them, no, this person can't um, can't participate in any libations and any uh, in anything where their alcohol is served. You can't go to a restaurant. You can't go to a ball game. You can't go anywhere. You get blackballed from society because you drank and drove. Uh, and I'm thinking... That's kind of extreme because there's a lot more people that are paying the price here. Right now, the restaurant owner loses your business. The, the basketball arena loses your business. The baseball park loses your business. Uh, lots of people, uh, mom and pop shops, are losing your business because you're not able to participate there. And now they're all part of the government's bigger web, which I think we want to avoid in, in most situations. But on its face, he was saying, you know, punish them a different way. Let them work. Let them continue to drive because taking away the privilege of driving doesn't teach them a lesson about not drinking, but taking away their privilege to drink teaches them. And, and on its face, that made sense to me. But as we explored it, it didn't make sense. So when I say that I don't think government officials should be allowed to go into the private sector as like a nonprofit leader that works in the areas that they once had uh, authority or influence over, um, to me, that makes sense. But I don't know if it does or doesn't. So you let me know. You chime in on social media at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And we're talking about Truth Social, Getter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all of the other ones that I'm forgetting right now. But those are the main ones that I typically check and follow. So anyway, you let me know your thoughts on that. There's more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about the rest of what's going on, have a little bit of audio I want to play for you. Plus, rosaries are under attack. We talked about that as a drive-by in the last episode or two episodes ago. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that article in The Atlantic where it brings it up. And it says that radical extremist groups, pro-gun groups, are co-opting the rosary. I think that's a bunch of uh, you fill in the blank. 
Anyway, more to come straight ahead. Rich Valdez, this is America. This is America. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com. This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, everybody, welcome back. Everybody listening on radio, 1210 WPHT, thank you. Everybody listening, uh, streaming, thank you for that. Everybody that subscribed to the podcast, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, without you, we don't have a show, so always much appreciated. Thanks for sharing. Now, there's an article in The Atlantic. It made a bunch of news about a week ago. I mentioned it on the last show, but I didn't really give it its due. I didn't really dive into it. But in effect, what I took away from it, and again, I'm, I am a biased conservative, right? I identify as El Macho, like I told you last time. So, and OG, originally Goldito. But uh, I also identify as Ultra Mega. And... And it's not because of fanaticism over Trump or MAGA or anything, because I take exception to some of that stuff. Um, but really what it is is that I, I feel that we should not be othering people and outing them. Now I say, well, Rich, that's really rich of you to say when you're always othering the left and saying they're radical and they're ruining America. Yes, granted, I am doing that. But I back it up. And these are things that are new. This is a, a, an element of society that we shunned for many years and now all of a sudden is magically welcomed because people have been indoctrinated and groomed to do so in higher education. Right? Nobody's ever said, oh my gosh, we think the ideas of Stalin and Lenin are fantastic ideas, except Stalin and Lenin and communist sympathizers. And back in the days of uh, McCarthy, is, oh, you're a McCarthyite, this is McCarthyism, this is the Red Scare, you see a communist behind every bush. But now we know, wow, look at it, it's true. And it's happening, and it's here, and they're winning the fight. They're winning. It's here. We're in a fight, and they're up. So we have to fight back and fight harder in order to, to win and to gain ground and to take ground back and to provide a better America for our children. And they continue this barrage of attacks because now there's fewer options for people to get any information. So, you know, when you have articles like this one in The Atlantic, how extremist gun culture is trying to co-opt the rosary I take exception to this because I think this is exactly how you do it. You attack God. You attack 
all things good and holy so that it's okay to be a secular progressive, but it's wrong to be a, a, a conservative uh, religious person. And that is a problem. Now, this is the uh, subhead over here. Why sacramental beads are suddenly showing up next to AR-15s? <laughs> this is by Daniel Pennington in The Atlantic. And uh, it goes on, and he's a Canadian, by the way. He's not even uh, an American. Uh, just as the AR-15 rifle has become a sacred object for Christian nationalists. Oh, let's stop there. That's neat. not even a full sentence. Just the first part of the, uh, the sentence. You, you tell me. Now, I happen to be a Christian. I, I would not consider myself a nationalist in any way, but I do uh, I consider myself a patriot, and I don't think the terms are interchangeable, but that's a different story for another day. Just as the AR-15 rifle has become a sacred object for Christian nationalists, yeah, this is funny to me, but I, these people do exist, and you know, maybe you guys are some of those. If you are, let me know and tell me off online. I get that all the time, but uh, I don't know many Christian nationalists, if I know any at all, who believe that AR-15s are sacred. I think there are people that think that the Second Amendment and the Constitution as a whole is uh, somewhat sacrosanct and that we should not mess with it, uh, but there's an amendment process, and I think most of the people that I know respect that and, and are willing to uh, agree with that. But all that being said, let me continue the sentence if I can get through it without commentary. <laughs> Just as the AR-15 rifle has become a sacred object for Christian nationalists in general, the rosary has acquired a militaristic meaning for radical traditional or rad-trad Catholics. Holy cow, that's such a loaded sentence. So this is what this uh, opinion writer here for The Atlantic thinks that you are a rad-trad, a radical traditional. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I now identify as rad-trad. My pronouns are rad and trad. Why? Because I do believe I'm a radical traditionalist. I do believe in a mom, dad, and two kids as a nuclear family. You can even add another four kids onto that and make it a family of six. I believe in all of that stuff because I think that's what made America solid and it made America great. And, you know, if I could go back to the leave it, leave it, leave it to beaver era, I totally would. If I knew how to speak, that would be even better. But I would love that because back then you could buy a home for a reasonable amount of money and you could get in. Now, of course, somebody's going to say, oh, you know, why rich? You were buying homes really cheap because black people weren't allowed to buy homes. And you know, you're right. And that was wrong. And I, and I don't support redlining and I think that's bad, but I don't get fat off of what you eat. So moving forward, now that everybody's allowed to buy a house, I would love to go back to Leave it to Beaver era where everybody can buy a house that's affordable and have a family of two, four, six people and go on a vacation a year and live the American dream, buy a car, pay it off, not have this endless amount of debt, go to school for a fraction of the price that it currently costs, you know, where you don't have to make $300,000 a year to be considered a success. Because that's where we are now. And good, I want everybody to make 300000 a year. But this attack on, on the rich always comes down to four hundred k a year. And guess what? That's where you need to... If you're in New York and you're not making three hundred k a year, you're struggling in some area somehow, some way. That's just how it is. And it's going to continue to get worse, especially when this new tax structure kicks in. So, you know, where they're going to take, I think, up to 66%. But the way it is now, it's somewhere close to like 35 39%. You're, you're losing a lot of money on taxes. So... What we've established so far is that they're in our pockets and they think that we're radical traditionalists. Anyway, on this extremist fringe, because I'm going into a tangent here on taxes now, uh, and I want to talk about this article. They say that the radical um, extremist fringe rosary beads have been woven into conspiratorial politics and absolutist gun culture. Now, I believe in the absolutism of the Constitution 
in so much as it, it provides an amendment process, which we did to allow women and African-Americans the, the right to vote, etc. So it's proven that this document created by old white men can totally be amended when the criteria is met. You know, it's not like the Bible. The Bible doesn't come with an amendment process. So that, to me, truly is absolutism. And again, it's supposed to be that way. Who am I to sit here and say that, you know, the Holy Spirit-inspired Scripture is something that I should be amending in some way, right? That'd be a little bit presumptuous of me. But anyway, it says, these armed radical traditionalists have taken up a spiritual notion that the rosary can be a weapon in the fight against evil and turned into something dangerously literal. You see, now, this is, again, an attack on Christianity because the Bible talks about the armor of God. The rosary is a prayer tool. And yes, prayer is part of any spiritual warfare, any battle where you're at odds with the enemy, the enemy of your soul and the physical and carnal enemy as well. So this is something where, again, this is an attack on you. This is an attack on your faith. This is an attack on on the Christian roots of America as as we know it and as we see it. Yet somehow we're supposed to accept this and, mm-hmm, yep, yeah, uh-huh, amen, preach. No, preach nothing. These the secular preachers, secular progressive humanists that are trying to create a society that is totally and completely devoid of anything um, godlike, anything Christ-like, anything where they, they... If you bow down to Jesus, you're not bowing down to the altar of big government. That is a problem for the radical left. Ultimately, that, that's my opinion. And that's what they want to stop. And you can see I've only gotten through two sentences because that's how charged these things are. But it goes on. It goes on to say that the uh, social media pages are saturated with images of rosaries draped over firearms, warriors in prayer. Now, this is an area where I've had this debate many years ago, back in 2009, 2010, 2011, uh, with um, Bible teachers, where they, they were very conservative, they were very a lot of things, but they did not believe that we should be dra- wrapping the cross with an American flag, or they, were, they took exception to lapel pins that were shaped like a cross that had the flag inside of it. And I said, why? Why would you have, you know, a problem with that if, you know, somebody's patriotic and they're a Christian and this is kind of like a a twofer? And their issue was, they said, both are great things, but they're not the same, right? The, The idea of one's salvation coming by way of the incarnate, uh, father becoming the son, coming to earth as your savior, paying your sin debt and dying on the cross to be resurrected in heaven at the right hand of the father has absolutely nothing to do with any flag. And they, these are separate things. So you can be a patriot and you can be a Christian and you can be a Christian patriot, but to, to award them the same weight was a mistake. And that was the, the lesson that they were uh, trying to impress upon me. And I understood that. I said, okay, yeah, granted, I, I, I can respect that position. You know, one is truly absolutism, and the other one is one's choice to, to love their nation. Uh, so I, I understood it that way, and I understand that that's the case. So I, I realize if you're going to drape a rosary over an AR-15, that for some people might be like, yeah, this is the best of both worlds. I'm a soldier. I'm going to you know, go out fighting for my country, defending my family because for God and country. And remember, this is a lot of the same stuff that Hitler 
used, right? Hitler used for God and country for many, many things. This is why he had to eradicate these people that were, quote, not, you know, he didn't call them infidels, called them a lot of things, but that's the idea. So I understand that, you know, many a despot, many a dictator has used for God and country as a way to get people to do the wrong thing. Totally got it. So I'm okay with uh, one choosing to separate those things, and I'm also okay if you want to combine them because I believe in your liberty to do what you want to do. But I understand the delineation between the two. I understand that my faith is my faith, whether I'm a citizen of Germany, whether I'm a citizen of France, or a citizen of the United States. I get that. And and, uh, I, I don't have one of those little cross pins. And I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't. I'm just making the case that this is what happens when you make these correlations, when you put a rosary on an AR-15. And again, I've never seen a rosary on an AR-15, so I believe this as much as I can throw it. I don't. But I'm sure that it's happened in somewhere. And when it says these extremist pages, you have to ask yourself, who is the author of these extreme pages? Right? Who's another guilty party in trying to use the Christian faith to get people to move towards a certain idea? All right. There you go. I'll give you the answer. Uh, ding, ding, ding. You are correct, sir. Vladimir Putin, right? Putin has used Christianity to try to win over people in the West uh, like crazy. He's been doing it for years. Every time things get out of hand, he goes to racism. He talks about BLM and, and the riots. He goes to um, talking about how, you know, we, we're losing our roots. We're, he's supporting the church. As some sort of religious zealot almost he comes across as like, you know, I'm here. I'm the savior of Christianity. And if you're not on my side, then you're against Christ himself. I say bravo, Sierra, to that, Vladimir Putin. You're full of it. But this is how propaganda works. And this is how people do what they do. So I get that. And I would not be surprised if some of these, ra- these radical traditionalists, blah, 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 Uh, websites are really just people falling victim to Russian propaganda or from Iran or anywhere else. I mean, that's all you need to do is to create a religious extremist is a religious extremist, no matter what, whether you're doing it in the Allah and you're blowing yourself up with a vest or you're wrapping a rosary around your hand and you're grabbing an AR-15 and going buck wild. Right. To me, to me, there's no difference in, in the two. I haven't yet read the part of the Bible that says, hey, go go grab a rosary and go, you know, do X, Y, and Z in the name of the Lord. And uh, I have read verses that say that, you know, the violent taketh by force. But I, I understand the context around that fully. I also understand the context around uh, abolishing our government if it's not working for us in the Declaration of Independence and understanding that the Constitution kind of outranks the Declaration of Independence. So people who hold on, hang their hat on that or hold on to that are mistaken and are looking at it from the wrong context. And a great article by Professor Randy Barnett, who um, wrote a good piece on that, and I discussed it one time where I filled in for Levin, so you could check that out at marklevinshow.com if you like. Or uh, just Google the article and read it for yourself, maybe 7, 10, 12 minutes. It's a longer article, but you'll get a real good understanding of uh, the spirit behind that. Ultimately, it wasn't that if we don't like what we see, we can just kick people out of office. That was not the case. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about some other stuff. I'm going to get off that soapbox and get on another one. I am Rich Valdez at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Rich Valdez with an S, by the way. And you're listening to Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. This is America. This is America. The 45th President Donald Trump thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good. It's an honor. Thanks, Rich. The honor is all yours. Conservative talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And thank you for listening on the radio, 1210 WPHT, or streaming or podcast or however you choose to listen to it. Thank you for tuning in. And there was uh, what I wanted to get into here was um, just a little bit off the beaten path on a couple of studies. There's a website, studyfinds.org, that I would like to go to just look at the latest studies that are out. Listen to this. This is considered news or breaking, right? Breaking. Eating junk food may be the reason you're feeling anxious or depressed. No kidding, because eating junk food makes you fat and unhealthy, and being fat and unhealthy makes you anxious and depressed. I, I lost a bunch of weight, um, a, a bunch like 60 or 70 pounds over the period of a few years. And after I got divorced, obviously, you're like, oh, you know what? It's time to meet new women, blah, blah, blah. So, you, you know, you got to look fresh. And, and I did so with different diets and, you know, increasing the exercise a little bit. But really, it was to um, change the way you eat and just be healthier in that. And obviously, I mean, if th- this is not new. I knew this 10 years ago when my doctor was telling me these things. So I just find it so interesting that um, this is, you know, kind of like uh, the latest study finds. Uh, here's another one. Unprepared for disaster, Americans' urban planners haven't learned much from Hurricane Katrina. No kidding. I mean, really, how much can you possibly brace for a hurricane? It's just like, you know, Miami. Miami is clearly one of these places that gets hit with hurricanes all the time. They get hit with hurricanes all the time. They got metal shutters. They do this. They create barrier islands. They, you know, they take precautions. But ultimately, you're going to get smashed. And every five, ten years, you're going to get one of those crazy hurricanes that actually uh, takes out more than you thought it was going to take out. And it's going to hit you hard. And that, to me, is life. Now, of course, there are some people in my circle, people I really do love and uh, care for, that call me and you know, they fill up my phone with all these text messages. Rich, it's not that. You don't understand what it is. They're taking out underground tunnels where kids are being trafficked. That's what they're causing. They're causing these floods with torpedoes and bombs underground. And it's causing, it, they report it as a flood. But it's really the government, you know, saving America. And I said, you know, that's very well might be a possibility. But like I mentioned last time, I'm not in the business of of proving a negative. You you just can't do it, right? Uh, The same way you can make the assertion that these are, you know, special operators flooding, you know, underground tunnels. I can make the assertion that these are, you know, aliens, little green men from Mars that are actually, you know, creating... uh, a new farming system underground because they're decided to go green and they're vegans and to support the uh, the lack of vegan food options, they're creating new ones and they're doing it underground and they needed massive water to do it so they cause flooding. I mean, anybody could make up anything, and that's the uh, that's the problem, that's the thing. You know what I mean? So anyway, there's another story here that I wanted to get into. Let me see. It was food news, junk food, blah blah blah. National Burger Day. I love burgers. Um, well done is kind of the way I do it. And when it's a steak, medium well, or even rare, medium rare is the way to go. Uh, I'm not finding the one that I wanted. Jeez. Anyway, that stinks. It was a funny story. Here it is. Smoking is even worse for your heart than previously thought. How's that for breaking news from the Study Finds website? And again, this website's usually really, really good, but I guess in August they run out of things to talk about, so they go to the proverbial, this is a... Uh, uh, a new development on a story. Uh, smoking's bad for you. No kidding. And just a quick uh, update here on an unrelated story. Naomi Judd, uh, the autopsy report is in for her, what is now being labeled as a suicide. 
uh, on April 30th that she left a note and she took pills and killed herself. And uh, that's unfortunate. All right. Anyway, those are some of the headlines. We're going to get into a little bit more on the other side. So don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I'm making podcasting great again. Your OG, originally Goldito, liberty-loving Latino amigo Rich Valdez here with you. And uh, we're going to wrap it up. I just wanted to circle back like Jen for Circle Back Pasaki, how we miss her, uh, and talk about her her uh, replacement, um, Karine Jean-Pierre. Now, Jean-Pierre was recently um, in the White House press room making some statements, you know, running away from the whole student loan crisis. And she was asked some very poignant questions, uh, very specifically about, you know, how are you going to pay for this? Like, how will this work out? And, you know, her response was the typical, listen to this. I've said a couple of times that this is a fiscally responsible way of doing this. But can you explain a little bit about how you guys think it is fiscally responsible? Because you can't say how much it's going to cost. You can't say exactly how it's going to be paid for. And you can't say exactly who is paying for the cost. Mm-hmm. I, I get how you're arguing that it helps certain yeah. populations, but yeah. how is it fiscally responsible? I mean, the way that the way that we are talking about it and what we're trying to say is we the, the actions that we have taken, and you see this, uh, with uh, the way that the deficit has been reduced, uh, we have uh-huh. taken uh, just uh, the last 19 months. Can I see that look that you're giving me there? Well, Matt? I think the whole room's giving her that look. She said the deficit was reduced. What is wrong with you? Go ahead. I well, hear the but, but that you have taken previous fiscally responsible right, actions that right, leave you, well, you give you more wiggle well, room to be. Right. It gives us no, 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 no. We're we. I mean, we see this. We do not see this as irresponsible. Oh no. But a whole bunch of other people do, right? Remember that one dad that went up to Elizabeth Warren and, and was like, you know, what do you say to people like me that worked my butt off to pay my bill and pay for my kid's school and, you know, for, for you to just give it away? And she was like, uh, 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 you know, like, you're the enemy. You're a maggot. You know, She didn't say that, of course, but that was the look on her face. But Jean-Pierre goes on. She also had this to say to Fox News' Jackie Heinrich that the HEROES Act hinges on paying off all this student loan debt as somehow connected to the pandemic. So they're calling it a national emergency. Check this out. The HEROES Act hinges on student debt cancellation being tied to the pandemic and that being a national emergency. But the administration argued in court that the pandemic is over at the southern Mm -hmm. border uh, to lift Title 42. It's so over that the government's going to stop buying vaccines in the fall and Mm -hmm. shift to the private sector. So how is this a national emergency? Mm-hmm. Has COVID a national emergency when it comes to student so debt? It's a, it's a very good question, and I'm glad you asked it. Um, look, Liar. we use the HEROES Act uh, because there are going to be some, be some people, when we lift the pause, that's still going to suffer. They're still going to have a little bit of a hard time. Aw, there's some people that are going to have a hard time. Ma'am, we're all having a hard time because of you, because of inflation, because of Biden's reckless policy on energy. I mean, is it is it really that difficult? Do you really think the American people are that dumb? 
They don't see this as a, as a ploy to try to win over a handful of people, a, a couple of students that you were already losing, so you're trying to get back your students by making this play. You know, Somebody with the math and a calculator said, well, you know what, we got this many people that are students, this many people owe debt. Uh, there's a good chance that they'll remember that and they'll like you and they'll go with the Democrats and the Democrats will say, you know, because Biden provided student loan relief, something nobody else did. Trump didn't do it. This one didn't do it. That one did it. Uh, Biden did it. The Democrats did it. That's why you've got and they're going to try and soften the blow in November. This is politics 101. This is like when it's May and it's time to vote for mayor in New Jersey that, you know, the, all of a sudden every sidewalk is painted. The yellow curb lines are repainted. The uh, roads are paved, that type of thing. This is politics 101. But it doesn't change the fact that this is a very, very irresponsible, reckless spending that, you know, we we got here by spending and they want to spend more about spending. You know, I have a clip of Milton Friedman that maybe if there's enough time, I'm going to play it because he talks about how dangerous this spending is. But this is it because clearly, you know, math and and understanding the simplistic um, science behind government spending and inflation is not Biden's strong suit. And this is in a piece in hot air. It says a new, mes- a new estimate is out from the nonpartisan Penn Wharton budget model analysts showing that student loan forgiveness plan, a.k.a. the academia bailout, will cost at least $518 billion just on debt forgiveness alone. Total cost to the taxpayers could run a cool trillion dollars. Wow. This is crazy. Listen to this. President Biden's new student loan forgiveness plan includes three major components. We estimate that the debt cancellation will be around $519 billion, with about 75% of the benefit accruing to households making $88,000 or less. Loan forbearance will cost another $16 billion. The new income-driven repayment program could cost another $70 billion, increasing the total plan to $605 billion under the strict, what they call, static assumptions. However, depending on future income-driven repayment programs, details could be released and potential behavioral non-static changes making the plan total cost more than $1 trillion. Now, you tell me if that's not heavy duty. That is heavy duty for real. I mean, this is serious business. No other way to slice it. Government spending is not going to help us. It's only going to hurt us. That's the bottom line. Now, listen to this 30-second clip from probably the best economist of my era, even though he's gone now, Milton Friedman. Inflation is made in Washington because only Washington can create money. And any other attribution to other groups of inflation is wrong. Consumers don't produce it. Producers don't produce it. Trade unions don't produce it. Foreign sheiks don't produce it. Oil imports don't produce it. What produces it is too much government spending and too much government creation of money and nothing else. Boom. Now, again, this is Milton Friedman, the uh, renowned economist who is responsible for the, uh, I'm going to call it the conversion of a very um, adamant Marxist from Harvard named Thomas Sowell who met Friedman and then said, you know what, this makes more sense than the stuff that Marx was preaching. And obviously Thomas Sowell, you know, I like to say he's a champion of the conservative movement, an incredible leader. I once spoke to on the phone for six or seven minutes, and it was like a highlight of my life. He even agreed to do an interview with me, but then, um, you know, his assistant called and said, you know, he had to change it, and we never rescheduled it. And I was like, all right, I get it. I get it. Not big enough. uh, Not big enough. (laughs) But I hope one day um, I'm able to uh, snag that interview because he's amazing. And Friedman was 
gifted and eloquent in making the complex somewhat understandable in that he's right. You only get this inflation because of guys like Biden. Guidance, uh, Biden, Biden's spending is what got us here. Period. The end. Punto y final. That's it. Bottom line. There's no two ways about it. It was reckless what he did. And he's continuing to do it. Whether you support student loan debt or not, or whatever the case is, adding more and then lying and saying it's going to reduce, reduce the deficit, excuse me, is not good for you. It's not good for me. It's not good for our families. And it's not good for America. Anyway, that's all I got. Let me know what your thoughts are on this and uh, tell your friends to listen to the show as well. Saturdays at noon on WPHT, Sunday morning, 6 a.m. And on demand anytime on odyssey.com and any of the other streaming platforms. It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Big shout out to everybody at 1210 WPHT. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, if you stand for nothing, you will fall for anything. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. Now is the time, my friends. Now is the time. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. Woodhouse Nissan offers a variety of SUVs and crossovers to fit your lifestyle. Whether you're looking for an SUV with high towing capability or a crossover with all-wheel drive, you can expect a variety of safety features, plenty of seating, ample cargo space, and innovative design to tackle virtually any adventure. Explore the Nissan lineup of SUVs and crossovers featuring Rogue, Rogue Sport, Kicks, Murano, Pathfinder, and Armada. Visit one of our two Nissan locations or shop online at woodhouse.com.